You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. This morning, then, we continue our trek through the book of Colossians, this New Testament epistle written by Paul to the church at Colossae. We've been working our way through this opening paragraph where Paul is talking about his thankfulness for this church. He's Epaphras has shown up. Uh, one of the, the planter, probably the church planter of the church of Colossae, has met Paul likely in Rome and shared of the, the, what's going on in Colossae. And Paul is rejoicing. And so he's, he's thanking, he's thanking God because he's heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all people, all of the, or for one another and all because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. And then he goes on that, that the final section, he's, he's reaffirming them. That the gospel that they have heard from Epaphras is the real, true gospel. But this morning I want to focus in on verse 6. He's talking about this truth, the gospel, the end of verse 5. And he says, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Well, first and foremost, there is this reality that Paul is writing of. There's been this successful spread of the gospel. That when the gospel goes out, Epaphras likely hears of this in Ephesus, goes back to Colossae. He shares the gospel message and hearts come to life. Sinners hear the good news of a God who has sent his sons and died for their sins, that they might be forgiven, made righteous, reconciled to their creator, and it produces fruit. Hearts are regenerated. Hearts come to life and they rejoice. And so this gospel, this word of truth is going throughout the whole world and it's bearing fruit and it's increasing. And that's, that's just a statement of the reality that as the gospel message goes out, it accomplishes God's purpose. It has its, the Holy Spirit is accompanying this, bringing people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It is a powerful good news. The gospel itself is a word, is a powerful word that as it goes out and people hear the need for them to turn from their sins, to trust in Christ, the message of grace, 
of a God who loves them, not after they clean themselves up, but a God who, while they were still sinners, died for them, is a powerful message. And it's bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. And that is great news for rejoicing. If you know Jesus as your Savior, it is because at some point, the message of the gospel and its power to produce converts hit your ears or came through your eyes and ringing or something. You heard this message of what Jesus does to save sinners. It has gone into your brain and somehow as that message hit your understanding, the Holy Spirit brought new life, gave you a new heart, took out the heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh, regeneration happened, and repentance and faith were produced. You saw your sin, your transgression against God for what it really was. You turned from it and you trusted in Jesus and his work on the cross to take away the wrath that you deserve. If you are a Christian, it's because you've heard this message and the gospel bore fruit and grew in your life. And as it does, just as it does in your own heart, it does everywhere that it goes. This gospel message bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And that's, that, is, that is the reality that Paul is speaking to. That, I think, is clear from the text. But there's, there's more that's going on there that I think is really fascinating to think about. He's speaking of something more because, and specifically for this church of Colossae. Even as the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, he says, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Even as the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, it is also doing so among them. Now, this is an ongoing present tense word. He doesn't say the gospel bore fruit and grew among you. And so I thank God that at one point in your past, the gospel bore some fruit and, and it grew in you. And, and, and so I'm glad that happened. These are active, ongoing words. The gospel in this Christian church is bearing fruit and growing among them. It's not that it has borne fruit or that it grew. There's this ongoing reality of the gospel such that it is continually bearing fruit and growing among them. It's the difference between, here, here's, my, here's my analogy, it's the difference between if, if you're going to call me and I said, you ask what I'm doing, and I say, I'm enjoying a meatloaf, or I say, I have enjoyed a meatloaf. Right? That's my meatloaf reference. Some of you like meatloaf, that's me don't. <laughs> but but they're very different realities. If I say I'm enjoying a meatloaf, what does that mean? That means that my, my wife and her and her graciousness and kindness towards me has made a meatloaf and I am currently enjoying a meatloaf. But if I say I have enjoyed a meatloaf, that means that at some point earlier in the evening I had it right and I'm now I've now moved on. Now I'm on the couch doing something, you know, whatever, with the kids or whatever I'm doing. But I, it's something that has happened in the past, but it's not currently happening. But if I say enjoying, if we say bearing, if we say growing, it is a present ongoing reality, right? And so Paul is saying to them that this gospel, this gospel of grace, the truth of grace, not that it once bore fruit, not that it once grew among them, but that it is, it is bearing fruit and it is growing. 
bearing fruit, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty familiar Christian phrase, right? I mean, if we wanted to do a little biblical theology, uh, we could trace the idea of bearing fruit throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. We go clear back to Genesis 1, where, where they're commanded to bear fruit, they're commanded to you know, spread and to tend the garden. There in the garden, Adam and Eve are given this, this command to bear fruit, to produce, to, to till the earth, to subdue it. There's this bearing of fruit that the original people are given that they are supposed to be doing. And then we walk all the way through Genesis. We're not doing that this morning. This is my overview of, of Abraham and the people of God who are to be filling the earth and subduing it and blessing the earth, bearing fruit. And the people of Israel, they, they, they are supposed to be bearing this fruit. But we get into the minor prophets and we find they're not really very good at, at bearing the fruit. And then the true Israelite, Jesus, shows up, right? And he's the one, he, the, in fact, when it comes to the children of Israel, you'll look like um, Matthew 21, this fig tree. Jesus curses it. He says, you'll never bear fruit again. And then so it goes on. There's going to be these new kind of fruit bearers. The followers of Jesus are going to become these new types of fruit bearers. You can look at John chapter 15 or Romans chapter 7. Speaking of those who are connected to the vine, they are now the ones that bear fruit. So they could trace, isn't that, it's a fascinating little project, and trace that all the way through the storyline of Scripture of, of how God's people are meant to bear fruit. But most often when we think of bearing fruit, where does your mind go, I guess, if you're talking, if the phrase of bearing fruit, most people would go to, to Galatians 6, right, and talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So that, that, that's what you would go as the fruit of the Spirit. Or you might go to, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, where the command is given to the new believer to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so there's a few places like that. But in those instances, what's usually being referred to is that the believer, the one who has the spirit, is the one who's going to be bearing fruit. You bear fruit, you individual believer, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But in this instance, it's the gospel that's bearing fruit. Even as it, grow, as it bears fruit, bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you first heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So it's not the people here, it's, it's, it's the, the gospel that's bearing fruit. So which is it? Do we bear fruit or does the gospel bear fruit? Which one is it? And you can look down in, in verse 11 in Colossians 1. He says, Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience that there is this, oh, verse 10, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Well, there Paul is talking to the church. They are to be bearing fruit. But so is it the church? Is it the people that bear fruit? Or is it the gospel that bears fruit? I want to argue that those aren't two separate realities. That they aren't like sometimes you bear fruit, sometimes the gospel bears fruit. Or like at some point the gospel bears fruit in your life and then now you spend the rest of your life trying to bear fruit out of what was once born. No. I want to argue that they're, they're actually this close and intimate relationship between the gospel bearing fruit and the Christian then bearing fruit out of what the gospel is bearing in their own life. It is as the gospel continues to bear fruit and grow in us that we then go and bear fruit with our lives. 
Now, why do I belabor that point? Well, there's a common thought in Christianity that the gospel is kind of like a front door to the faith. Like, you know, you show up, you, you learn, you accept, you go to Sunday school or whatever point, you sign the card, yes, I've accepted Jesus, you, you go into the baptism, you can get baptized, you, you start taking communion, there's this sort of process that we go through in evangelicalism, and the gospel is kind of considered like a front door into the faith. And now once you've checked the box of, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I'm a believer, then you go on into trying to buy your own strength right now you've got to go live the life of a christian and that the gospel thing is kind of fulfilled and now we're going to go into real christianity gospel and the gospel is kind of christianity 101 and then you're going to graduate to hopefully one day get your doctorate and being a christian but that was the gospel is really just kind of 101 and we're going to move on from that the gospel of grace becomes just a box that you check off. And there's an understanding, yeah, I did that. You'll, you'll hear that from people. Oh, yeah, I, I trusted in Jesus back when I was in uh, kindergarten. You know, I walked the aisle. You might hear things like that. Or, you know, I was, Smith so-and-so is teaching me Sunday school. And I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer of, of salvation, the sinner's prayer, back when I was, you know, four years old or whatever they might say. And there's this, there's this understanding that now that we've done that, we move on into real Christianity. We're supposed to then be about the business of making God happy for what he has done for us. This is not Paul's view of the gospel. I think it's an inaccurate view of the gospel. So I'm going to say something that's simultaneously terribly destructive news and incredibly restorative news. And it is this. It is that no one in God's family is a grace graduate. No one in God's family is a grace graduate. You never graduate from grace. You never graduate from the gospel. There is no thought in Paul's mind here with this church that they should think of themselves as those who have at some point in their past heard the gospel. It has borne fruit and grew something in them. And now they must go about into the business of moving on into real Christianity. Well, you might think, Darren, so what are you saying? We're not supposed to grow in our Christianity? I mean, how are we supposed to bear fruit and grow? Yes. And that is done through this intimate connection, this ongoing connection to the good news of the gospel of grace. Just a quick read through the book of Romans. You can see Paul's emphasis on this centrality of grace. But you can look at Romans chapter 7. I mentioned it earlier, but... If you actually flip to Romans chapter 7, verse 4, the same phrase is used of, of bearing fruit. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 4, it says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And the way he's laying that out, you can see the gospel at the beginning of verse 4. He's talking about you died to the law through the body of Christ. That'd be the crucifixion of your flesh involving repentance. All of the, the things that go into this conversion. That you may belong to another. You now belong. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. There's so many passages we can go to that speak about this gospel reality. You belong now to him who's been raised from the dead. Why? So that we may bear fruit for God. And there's this ongoing connection between this bearing fruit 
and the bearing of the fruit of the gospel in your life. So how is the statement that you never graduate from grace, how is that a destructive statement? I mean, at a, at a surface level, you can fly across that and you think, oh yeah, look, I like the sound of that. Yeah, you never graduate from grace. How is that destructive? They're a, very, a very quick, just look at it, sounds good. But if you think about what that really means, if you think about what it means that we never graduate from grace, it is absolutely destructive to your independent pride. It is absolutely destructive to your own self-sufficiency. It's saying that you never move on from the great need you have of God's rescue. And we don't like that because we want to be, we are a terribly proud people. Truth be told, we're thankful for grace. We like the message of the gospel. Okay, thanks. Jesus saved me from hell. Now I could, now we want to move on so that we can kind of earn some slice of favor from God. Thanks for the grace, Jesus. I appreciate it. Now God, sit back and watch how amazing I can be. And there's this little proud self that rises up that wants to try to impress God. But you never graduate from the grace of God. We desperately want to feel like we've deserved some of the goodness from God. But the thing with grace is you can never deserve it. If you deserve grace, it's no longer grace. It's free gift. That becomes a wage. And we know the wage that we earn is the wages of sin is death. And all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. The only wage we ever get is, is from our sin is death. We get grace. And we never graduate from grace. So here's how this manifests in our lives. We begin to say or think things like, God must be disappointed in me. Maybe you'll hear yourself in some of these, but God must be disappointed with me. I've failed God. I've failed everyone. I'm worthless. I'm just a big mistake. I can't get anything right. These inner dialogues that go on in our minds, maybe you thought, or I think at times, just get to a low spot where it just feels like I have messed this up to such an incredible degree. I've disappointed everyone. God surely is disappointed with me. Every one of those thoughts is based on an understanding that God's love for you is based upon your worthiness or your righteousness or your ability to merit God's love for you. And that is not the gospel of grace. God's love for his children is based upon his own unconditional grace and brought about by the righteousness of not you, but the righteousness of Christ and his substitutionary death for us on the cross. Maybe it comes out like this. Maybe you are, are similar to me. And at times you begin to think, why am I not better off? Why am I not better than I am? Why haven't I got this figured out yet? I really, I really thought I was doing good. And now I have this day or this week or these months. I mean, I get to the end of months and I think, what have I been doing? I, I'm so, why am I not better? I should have more of this figured out. I shouldn't keep making these same mistakes. You ever think that? I shouldn't keep making these same mistakes. Now, for sure, this is not a somehow a endorsement of sin or that God turns a blind eye or winks at sin. 
But how much of that mindset flows from thinking we are the ones who should be performing well for God? This very same person who says these things may know very well the exact definitions of the gospel, but they find their practical living totally severed from the truth of grace. There is this sinful desire hardwired in us to be independently sufficient. We want grace because we think maybe we need it for the get in the front door of God's family, but then we're going to move on and really do something to impress God. But you never graduate from grace. Grace says, no, you don't deserve it. God's favor is gift. So the good news of the gospel is that even though you never graduate from grace, God's grace never runs out. Every sin you committed is since the cross. And God's grace never runs out. The fruit, it is an everlasting well. The fruit of the gospel, the reason why Paul is writing to them that this gospel is bearing fruit and growing is because the, God, the fruit of the gospel bears and bears and bears more fruit as it grows and grows and grows around us certainly, but absolutely in us as well. What's incredible is that in actually anchoring yourself to the gospel, it does then bear the fruit you desire, albeit imperfectly, but this fruit that you want to see happen, that you find yourself unable to perform on your own. The grace of God, as you anchor yourself in into the gospel, that fruit actually is empowered to then flow by grace. As you recognize, it is not I that do it, but it is the grace of God working in me. The husband who knows he should love his wife and kids thinks that, of course, he knows the gospel. I mean, you sit down with people and, and talk with them and have conversations, and they have all these problems in their lives, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus, but, but I've got all these extra problems. I, I don't need to hear about what, who Jesus is and what he has done anymore. I've got all that. I need help in this area that's totally disconnected from the gospel. And that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how powerful the gospel really is. That's wanting to sever the fruit of the gospel from the fruit that you want to produce in your life. And Paul doesn't do that. He interlinks these two. What is needed, he thinks this, this husband or whoever, this individual who knows he should love his wife and his kids and his failing, he thinks he's graduated from the truth of the gospel. I've got that Jesus stuff down, but you know, I need something else. But what he is missing is that fruit-bearing root of the gospel. So, do, do I not want us to grow? Have you ever think that? I sometimes wonder if I could really hear what you thought. As, as we gather every Sunday and we, Jesus, 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 the grace of God, the good news, not of who you should be, but the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Not these commands and these encouragements to somehow pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go out and be all that you've been made to be, but Hear the message of who Jesus is and all that he is for you and rejoice in Christ. Do we, why are we so stuck over and over again every Sunday is there and emphasizing that I'm a sinner in need of grace and that there's good news. Christ has come to bear my sins so that I can be forgiven and made right and reconciled with his God. Why do we hammer that over and over again? Does Darren not want us to grow into mature Christians and just get stuck on the gospel? No. That's, but yes, 
No, Darren doesn't want you to not grow. But yes, that growth comes from you dialing and me dialing and digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the truths of the gospel, who Jesus is for us, what he has done, and how that flows into every area of our life. What Paul is emphasizing is that it is through anchoring and tying yourself to the gospel of grace that bearing fruit and that growth actually happens. That's how it's accomplished. There isn't an area of your life that the gospel of grace doesn't impact if it is allowed to bear the fruit of the gospel. We do not move on from the gospel, but as we dig deeper into it with all its implications, it goes on bearing fruit after fruit. That husband or wife or whoever that we've the picture that you have in your head who wants to move on as the gospel grows and bears fruit in their life they see that they are not the center of the universe they know that they have much to repent for they know that confession and repentance are central they know that they have been forgiven much and that enables them to forgive much they know that they are loved in Christ Jesus and that no shortcoming on their part can change any of that. The mother or wife, when she feels like she gives and gives and gives and it's never enough and she's burnt out, she doesn't feel recognized and loved. She doesn't need to get better at all the things she's trying to do. She needs to remember the gospel and dig deeper and deeper into who Jesus is for her. It is there that she finds repentance even for trying to be what she should not be trying to be. There she finds grace and mercy and love. There she finds forgiveness that empowers her to extend forgiveness. There she finds the value that she has been searching for. We do not graduate from grace. Paul's writing to this church of Colossae saying he's rejoicing because the gospel continually bearing fruit and growing within them. Is the gospel bearing fruit in you? Is the gospel bearing fruit in you? Now be careful how you respond to that. Because the first thing we're going to want to think is, oh, I, I need to get to having the gospel bear fruit in my life. One of the great fruits of the gospel is just the call of repentance and turning to Jesus. One of the great fruits of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit is just seeing clearly and turning to Jesus. Is the gospel bearing fruit in you? Hear the gospel this morning. Let it bear fruit in you. Turn to Jesus. Let his grace overtake you and bear fruit in you. Not moving on from it, but digging your anchors deeper and deeper into all that Christ is for you. Let's pray. Father, may this be the reality of our lives. Not graduating from grace, not graduating from the good news of the gospel, but anchoring and digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper in who you are, what you have done. Seeing more clearly my shortcomings, my sinfulness, my failings, my inabilities, my unloveliness, and yet... At the same time, seeing the good news of the gospel that says, in spite of my unloveliness, in spite of my shortcomings and transgressions and failures, you loved me enough to send your son 
to take my punishment, my shortcoming, my inability, my failings, the penalty, my rebellion upon himself so that I might be forgiven and made righteous in your sight. God, help us to see it and to anchor ourselves in it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.